0: I'm packing my belongings in the shawl my mother used to wear when she went to the market, and I'm going from my valley.
1: Hello, and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin.
0: I'm David Daw.
1: And this week, we watched the winner of the 1941 nominees, How Green Was My Valley? The answer is, uh, I think, not that green. It's a black and white film.
0: Susan, let's just start out with it. America's been talking about it. There's nothing better to talk about. No one is interested or terrified by anything right now. Should we have Bingle answered this? Did we Bingle answer the wrong movie?
1: I'm going to say no, and I'll tell you why. Okay. I do think that there's something to talk about here, at least in the context of what the Academy seems to find compelling and the problems with how those issues are handled in movies in this period. And two... Can we bangle Lancer a winner?
0: I mean, to me, that's the argument for doing it, right? If One Foot in Heaven, which, God, it took me so long for my brain to remember the title of that film, it's so boring, didn't exist, I would be sitting here saying, let's bingle Lancer this as a specific fuck you to the Academy. (laughs) (laughs) Because what were you thinking?
1: (laughs) do have some arguments as to why the issues that it presents if not actually confronts and deals with are important issues for the time so i think that's what they were thinking but yeah
0: Uh, i mean i guess plot outline god i hate this movie there's just a family in a welsh mining town It's all narrated by the youngest child in the family as an old man, which is never relevant in any fucking way because the movie ends when he's like 17, even though he still looks 12 because they never recast him. And it's super weird that he has a romance plotline as a 12-year-old.
1: Is he 17 by that point? He
0: got into college, so I assume.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Wow, I... Completely forgot that. But yes. And it's Roddy McDowell, of all people, who is a baby and who looks weirdly like Crispin Glover as a child. Not like Crispin Glover looked as a child. It's that as a child, Roddy McDowell looked strangely like Crispin Glover as an adult.
0: Oh, like how everybody on Twitter yesterday was talking about that Degrassi clip where there's like a 12 year old boy that looks like Jamie Lee Curtis.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway, it's like a tone piece about the mining town going through economic hardship. The older brothers all leave as the mine like shuts down and keeps giving lower and lower wages.
1: Well, they're on strike.
0: Well, for a while, but that's its own fucking... I'm kind of skipping over that, both because the movie is so incoherent about it, and because we just need an entire section of this podcast talking about how incoherent this movie is about unions.
1: That's my big thing that I'm talking about when I say that it presents an issue but doesn't confront or address it.
0: Right. There's also religion as another thing that it's like, this is a big thing. What do you have to say about it? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> it's bad to gossip. And like that- Okay. <laughs> for that we have our actual in practice lead of walter pigeon who's the like local pastor that's involved romantically making googly eyes with the older sister of the family
1: egard yeah
0: and that becomes both a whole thing and fucking nothing like everything else in this movie Then at the end, the dad dies, and that's supposed to be a tragedy, but the dad's a real piece of shit, and I don't get why the kid liked him.
1: Yeah, they have this really weird thing at the beginning of the movie, which there's hardly any dialogue at all for the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie. It's just narrated with occasional little outbursts by people who were on screen. But he talks about how it was great that at the dinner table, they never spoke at all. This isn't good. This is terrible. (laughs) How is this a happy family?
0: And then the dad's an anti-union piece of shit that's just right because fate? None of it makes any sense. I have this instinct to refer to everything that happens in this movie as a subplot, but that's wrong because that implies that there's a major plot that's going on above the subplot. It's just that this movie is a string of small incidental vignettes. None of which add up to anything and none of which are anything on their own.
1: Yeah, there's no overarching conflict. There's nothing.
0: There's like a 15 minute sequence where the boy goes to a new school and the new teacher is abusive and so are some of the bullying school children. So his dad brings in a like drunk guy to teach him how to box. And then the boxer goes to the school and beats the shit out of his teacher. And that's the end of that plot line.
1: And then he gets into college, so it's fine.
0: Yeah. And like, oh, wow, what a fun, pleasant distraction from nothing. That's all that goes on for like a third of this movie. Like, it's like, remember when the third, what was it? The Dark Knight Rises, the third Chris Nolan Batman movie came out. And for like six months, everybody was so impressed with it for having Occupy signifiers in it. And then they realized that that movie said nothing coherent about class whatsoever. Right. If you do class analysis of it, it's that you have to leave the billionaires in charge because populism will just become the French Revolution immediately and everyone will just murder people in the streets. Right. And right, but they were marching on Wall Street. So like, wow, they're talking about such important things. This movie is talking about industrialism and religion and unions, but talking about them like Dark Knight Rises does, where it's just unions. They go on strikes.
1: Well, yeah, we're gonna have to dive into the union stuff. So finishing out the plot, the sister eventually gets married to the mine boss's son. Yeah. Who cares? And then they move to South Africa and then he, I guess, dies and she moves back.
0: He's not dead. She just moves back on her own. Oh, okay. And so it's theorized they're getting a divorce. And one of the maids in the house decides to spread rumors about her and the local pastor having a romantic thing which they do.
1: Right. I mean they've never hooked up or anything, but they definitely are super in love and always have been.
0: Then the rumor mongering of that is enough to drive the pastor out of town, but just before he can leave, there's a like 15th mining accident of the film and him and the young boy and the boxer's blind friend who apparently is a pivotal member of this film which you wouldn't know until the last 5 minutes all have to go down and rescue the dad, but the dad's already dead and they have a touching goodbye with the son and the dad. And then fucking the end. Nothing happens in this movie.
1: Yeah, it's not a great film, but I do understand why it was nominated at this time because it does bring up issues surrounding labor movements and unions and strikes. What it does that's really irritating that we've seen a number of times in Oscar bait films of this period, it shows that there is an issue and then fails to confront that issue in any way. The strike in this movie goes on for 22 weeks into winter. No one dies, no one freezes to death, no one starves, no one's house is repossessed. The worst thing that happens to anyone is that at one point, after many, many weeks of striking, the miners who are pissed at the dad for initially not supporting the strike throw a rock through his window. And that's the thing that we get into so much in these films, is that there's something that has real, tangible, horrifying consequences in reality that are in no way reflected on film and it reminded me a lot of blossoms in the dust which has this same situation where there are these kids who are basically going to live forever in orphanages because they are labeled as illegitimate on their birth certificates and we never see anything that presents what that struggle is the woman who is fighting for it goes to court and it's like okay cool no we're gonna just change it done And I'm not saying that I need to see suffering on film, I'm not a sadist, but if you're going to present a situation that results in real tangible human suffering in real life and completely ignore it, then how is that issue confronted and how is it moving? It's not really.
0: (laughs) Well, because the movie is utterly unconcerned with the suffering of anyone outside of the family. The movie is concerned that the strike meant that the dad and the sons are in conflict and not that people were out of work for a year. The dad never explains himself. But the movie still seems to be on his side that the strike is bad and we should avoid the strike at all costs.
1: Or that the strike itself is not necessarily bad, but that the dad being against it as a older person who's working there who seems to have a prominent position among his co-workers not supporting it and never apologizing and never dealing with it and never coming out in support of the strike despite the fact that he's not a scab he just wasn't in support of it at first is totally fine and you know i don't know that i agree with that that he should just be automatically forgiven do they need to throw a rock through his window no no But they've been striking for 22 weeks at this point. You know, why didn't they throw the rock through his window at the beginning when he's being vocal about not supporting the strike?
0: Yeah, that seems to be what the movie comes down on to do a both sidesy thing. Because the pastor who is the voice of moral authority about fucking everything in this universe because we're boring as shit and this movie sucks. (laughs) (laughs) comes down and goes like, collective bargaining is good, but don't be mean and cruel to each other. You'd might as well go, collective bargaining is good, but don't build a spaceship and crash it into the mine owner's house. Like, no one is doing that, my dude. Yeah. <laughs> the dad is never forced to explain why he's against the strike, because this movie doesn't really have a reason to be against striking. It just wants there to be a conflict and wants it to not be this open and shut thing of unions are good and business owners are bad. Except that in this narrative you're telling, then tell a different story. Tell a story like the Katherine Hepburn movie where she's racist and kind of a social climber.
1: Alice Adams.
0: The business owner in Alice Adams, who's just like a weirdly good dude. The business owners in this, like, everybody who owns the mine seems like a real piece of shit. Collective bargaining seems like an absolute necessity. The dad just seems like he's shouting everybody down for no reason. And yet the lesson is, how dare you say things against this man? <laughs> And it's like, well, cause he's being an asshole and refusing to explain himself. That is a thing that frustrates people. <laughs> What are you talking about?
1: Oh, totally. The mine owner or whoever it is, there's some guy who is the boss who gets into this big screaming match with the preacher and is like, I'm going to tell all the deacons that you support labor rights. I mean, he's straight up Uriah Heep. Like he's such a caricature of short and weaselly bad boss. You know, it's very clear that the movie thinks that workers are right, but also doesn't explore any of that at all it's just sort of taken for granted that the strike is the correct thing to do but there's no discussion of what the sacrifices of being on strike are for the people who are doing it and why it's difficult one of the things that really bothers me is the older sons who all support the strike move out of the house and we never see what happens with them while they're gone for the better part of a year What are they doing? It's just like, okay, the strike is over. And then suddenly we see them coming back with their rucksacks over their shoulder. Like, okay, everything's fine now. Except that also half of them don't get jobs now that the strike is over because there's less work, which also is never dealt with, except that they just decide to move to America.
0: Because this movie is only interested in the strike insofar as it causes strife within this family. The son's moving out only matters in that it is a stab in the heart of the father. Fuck the dad. The opening monologue of this movie is like, my father never told me a wrong word and never led me astray. He's an anti-union piece of shit that teaches you how to fight. He's just a terrible dad. There's like two scenes where he's not a terrible dad. He forces his daughter into a loveless marriage that he like knows is going to be loveless. Yeah. Because it's going to make him more money for the family. Yeah. He doesn't even have an internally consistent position on anything in order for this movie to have a point of view that it's advocating for. He's just this series of random decisions that never have to be explained because he's the dad. Right. It sucks. It sucks that that's supposed to be our, like, emotional touchstone the entire movie revolves around. Yeah. When there's the big dinner table conflict scene where the sons all storm out, you're like, oh, now we've gotten to it. The emotional core of the movie, this is the core relationship of conflict that will drive the movie. But no, they just wander back into the house 15 minutes later when the strike subplot is over. He never explains himself. No one ever goes like, I was wrong, and so I have changed my mind. Everyone just goes, well, the strike is over, so I guess we'll just go back to the way things were.
1: It's not a good movie. Is it the worst movie that we've ever seen? No, but that's not a huge recommendation.
0: I think it's the worst movie of this year.
1: I think you're right. I'm looking at the list, and what we have are essentially movies that are boring or annoying, but nothing has really hit infuriating until this movie So yeah, I'm going to agree
0: with you. Yeah, One Foot in Heaven is too boring to be infuriating. I feel like if One Foot in Heaven was a better movie, it would be a worse movie, you know? Yes. Like, if I really had to deal with that pastor's point of view, instead of just going like, I fell asleep again, what's happening? Still arguing about (laughs) building a church? Okay, then I would hate it as much as I actively dislike this movie. But too much stuff happens in this movie For it to be boring in the sense of, like, your brain is constantly activated by, like, oh, a new thing. Is this new thing going to... To matter at all? (laughs) ...become an actual plot? And the answer is always no. But still, new things keep happening. Yeah. (laughs) That didn't happen in One Foot in Heaven, which I guess, like, pick your poison. But that's the only movie that's even arguably worse than this movie, It just gets points for saying the word union and strike, I guess. Yeah. I think your argument for why it won is correct, but like... That argument is so damning of the Academy.
1: Oh yeah, it's not a defense of the Academy at all, to be clear.
0: (laughs) Yeah, even Green Book at least has a point of view on racism, you know? Its point of view is childishly simplistic, but it says something about it. This movie can't be bothered to say anything about its themes. Right. It's just like, family. Boy, it sure is. (laughs)
1: Labor movements, those happen.
0: It's the crime boy, I don't know thing from West Wing. You can't just shake your head and go like, yeah, issues. Mm. Ah, <laughs> <Like> they- <laughs>
1: uh, Except that's exactly what it does. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh. And giving it credit for confronting issues it doesn't confront, which is 100% what happened in giving it the Academy Award or nominating it at all. Is, yeah, really damning of the Academy, because it doesn't actually confront the issues that it presents. Yeah. So should we rate this film?
0: Yeah, um, three... Like the town- ta- the set of the town is pretty good,
1: yeah, art direction is pretty good. I'll say that
0: it's not racist because everyone is Welsh,
1: yeah, I think a three is pretty fine,
0: oh, we didn't talk about the weird romance plot line between the twelve year old boy and like the adult wife of his older brother,
1: oh, yeah, there is that
0: five minutes into the movie, this interchangeable, attractive thirties actress. I know it's the 40s now, but she's an interchangeable, attractive 30s actress still, (laughs) wanders by and is going to get married to his older brother. And the narrator is like, I think I fell in love with her then. And you're like... Oh, this is going to be one of these movies with huge time jumps. And then at like 30, she will be the love of his life. But no, it's the same actor through the whole fucking thing. The elder brother just dies in a mining accident. And then he, with his voice literally cracking, is like, I'm going to move in and be the man of the house now. (laughs) And she's like, okay. And the movie presents that as modestly fucked up, but it's all going to go okay. Because, like, apparently they did, from the narration at the beginning, spend the rest of their life together.
1: Yeah, she's, like, I don't know, let's say at best, she is 17 when she marries the older brother and he's 8.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things where by the time he's 30, it's not a wild age difference. So, like, why did we not skip ahead? <laughs> why did we decide to go whole hog on this romance plotline line? When he's still fucking Haley Joel Osment, you know, <laughs> I don't fucking understand.
1: Yeah, he is definitely a foot shorter than she is by the end of the movie. Still, <laughs> so maybe two. Maybe it's more of a two for the-
0: Yeah. For that. Yeah, let's go with two. I really regret saying I'm sure this movie is fine last week. One, because I feel like it cursed us. And two, because it was just way too kind to the Academy. This is not a mediocre pick where they just didn't have the insight to see Citizen Kane. This is them actively picking a terrible movie in the face of Citizen Kane.
1: And the Maltese Falcon. Yeah. There are obvious better choices here, and perhaps suspicion, which we'll find out next week.
0: You could have thrown darts at the just list of names of nominees this year, and done better, because this is the worst one.
1: So obviously, don't. Watch this movie.
0: (laughs) It's an hour 54 and feels like two and a half conservatively.
1: Oh, yeah. It was a drag.
0: And again, you like have to pay attention through all of it. I mean, you don't have to, you can just not watch this movie, which is the right choice. But if you're watching it, your brain is like, oh, is this is this important information? Because every bit of information I'm getting is new information.
1: None of which you need.
0: Nope. Because literally the entire movie is the start of it where it's like, when I was a young boy, I loved my father. And then the end of it where he watches his dad die. Nothing in between those things matters fucking at all.
1: So next week, we do have the final film of the 1941 nominees, which is Suspicion, and I think it's the last Hitchcock movie to be nominated.
0: I think that's right. And like, Christ, that poster's good. Is it? I like it.
1: I guess it is. Yeah.
0: I mean, like, yes, I am going off of the How Green Was My Valley posters, one of which looks like a giant book is going to crush all of the actors in Wizard of Oz and the other one looks like a hastily thrown together ironic poster for a stand up special but like i don't know there's a fucking vibe to this thing and that's something
1: there is definitely a vibe no question tune in next week when we see if this is the first movie that has a good poster and is also good yeah and until then
0: no i'm th- no you don't get a catchphrase i'm not doing it for this it's. I. No.
1: This sucked. This sucked. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody.
0: Bye. In those days, the black slag, the waste of the coal pits, had only begun to cover the side of our hill. Not yet enough to mar the countryside, nor blacken the beauty of our village.